Welcome to The Morning Startup, where we believe you can develop neural pathways that will awaken you to a full heart and clear mind. Live with joy, health, and success. I'm your host, Michael Oliver, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Deborah Dyack and Maria Gosher. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so Maria's off today. She's uh, well, some well-deserved downtime, so it'll be uh, Deborah and myself uh, co-hosting today's uh, session. And we are so excited to have Jeff Howard with us. So welcome and thank you all for your patience as we had a little bit of a technical glitch with our computers, but we got it all figured out. Jeff, thank you so much for your patience. We really appreciate that as well. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit of Jeff's bio uh, and then we're gonna get into it. Honestly, there's probably not enough time in this particular podcast episode to cover everything that Jeff has to offer, but I think that um, I'll leave it to Jeff to kind of decide where he would like to guide us and what he would like to share with us. But his journey is very interesting and I'll ask him to share a little, little bit about his journey, where he started and how he ended up where he is today. But Jeff Howard bought his first singing bowl at a local shop in the early 2000s after attending the University of Nebraska. And over the time, um, it has built into quite a, a business for Jeff. He, uh, he organized and um, created Silver Sky Import, Imports since 2003. It has grown from 50 bowls to a warehouse of more than 10,000 bowls, uh, as well as other meditation products such as gongs and chimes and drums and other things. And we'll have Jeff speak to that as well. It's, a, it's quite an amazing journey when you begin a, a business and you find your passion and you build it from something about learning about one singing bowl to where now you have an organization where you're not only teaching, uh, but also continuing to learn. Um, in 2014, uh, Jeff uh, developed a technique uh, for his business called the vi vi Vibrational Sound Therapy, uh, where he officially founded the Vibrational Sound Therapy Association, or the VSA. Um, and Jeff, you can kind of help me guide guide our way through this. But I also want to mention that you have a number of charities that you're involved in. Um, and I'd like you to, at some point through this conversation, share about uh, your um, some of your charities that are happening um, in, in India. I know in Tibet as well, you're working with the elephants there and, and using sound with the elephants. And that is just very, very in fast. In Thailand. In Thailand. I'm sorry. Thailand. In Thailand. So very interesting. But um, so to start us off, I know Deborah's also got some questions that she's going to be jumping in here with, but can you share us a little bit how your journey started and what, what got you into this uh, into this field? Absolutely. But with all of our technical stress this morning, I'd like to start off with just a little sound, a little sound meditation. That would be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Get us, all, get us all in the mood. Excellent. Excellent. And what I'd like for everybody to do is I'm just going to ring the bowl one time and just take three deep breaths. Just focus on your breath. Very, very deep. I want them to be loud breaths, and everybody in the audience can uh, participate in this as well, too, at home. And 
This is a great exercise for everybody to do every time you wake up every day or enter a stressful situation. Uh, if you don't have a singing bowl, you can just focus on a word. You can focus on an intention, a mantra, anything like that. Just take three deep breaths. Mm -hmm. um, when I when I start anything, like even even like doing this podcast, I'm excited. I'm nervous. We were having these computer issues <laughs> right. else is going on, and you know it's. I'm here to talk about relaxation, so I don't want to talk really fast and get everybody pumped up this morning. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that's a that's a great suggestion and and uh, very good thing to be mindful of. So thank you for sharing that. Super. Yeah. So um, my journey. Um, one thing that I just wrote down. I like to take notes when people talk because otherwise I forget. But uh, you said find your passion, and I find that interesting because um, I did find my passion, but I didn't ever know what my passion was. Hmm. You know, to begin, to begin with before right. I found it. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I like to talk a lot with our students about business things because a lot of us that are in the healing arts, mm -hmm. uh, we really don't, uh, we don't know how to bring it out to the world. Right. Because our minds are different than the business type of a person. Mm -hmm. And um, I came more at this of a business perspective where when I was younger, school wasn't for me at all. I, I, had, a, I had trouble learning in school. I had trouble in that environment. And um, going in and thinking about, I wanted to start a business. I didn't know what it was mm -hmm. at that time, but I wanted to start a business. So I think that also brings us to attention mm -hmm. as well. That even though I didn't know what my passion was, if I knew what my passion was, I tried to manifest that in my life. But since I didn't know what it was, I knew my passion was to do something with business. Mm -hmm. Every time I worked with or worked for someone, I was always the annoying employee that would offer too many suggestions. <laughs> my managers hated me right absolutely hated mm -hmm. me because i worked uh, i worked all sorts of jobs i worked in restaurants and i was a, i was a waiter and uh there would be there'd be something that customers wanted or needed and i would talk to management about it or a change we needed to make and they you know they'd say ah you know you, you don't know what you're talking about right, you've never right. done this before and so kind of i kind of spent my life with that and really really wanted to uh start a business so that was my first passion was was the business aspect of it wasn't I wasn't a very spiritual person when I was in my 20s when I started this. Right. So I, um, I, I had a lot of stress in my younger part of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up in a family environment with just a lot of stress. My parents didn't know how to deal with stress. Mm -hmm. So they dealt with stress mostly through anger and through yelling. Mm -hmm. And um, that vibration has stuck with me mm -hmm. through life. And I've had to really work with that. So all of a sudden, uh, a friend of mine, when I was in, in school, he was uh, working at an import shop and I always loved different cultures and loved different, uh, different items from different parts of the world. And I always had a passion for traveling at some point in my life. And uh, this friend of mine worked at this import shop and I just loved everything there. And this one day he had, he showed me the singing bowls and they had like five of them in the shop. You know, he started, he brought the bowl and he <laughs> took the other mallet. I think I have one around here. <laughs> That's great. Took a, took a mallet like this and started, you know, just taking this slow vibration, starting the bowl. And just got this beautiful sound out of it. And I was like, I've just got to have that. That's really, really cool. Right. And um, that's all I thought of it. Mm -hmm. Nothing healing about it. It was just a, a really cool thing to me. But then it came something about myself when he handed me the bowl. You know, he made that beautiful sound, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> and I, you know, I started. 
sorry everybody for that to wake you up on a Sunday. <laughs> but uh, you know, I started playing it and I couldn't get it at mm -hmm. all. Couldn't couldn't get it. And in fact, a, a week later, I took the bull to a um, a dinner party. Had like eight friends around, and everybody's getting this beautiful sound out of the bull. <laughs> and it comes back to me. I won't I won't play that sound. <laughs> yeah, the same the same thing happened. It took me three weeks to play that first bull. And, but every time I every time I handed it to somebody, they'd just immediately be able to get this mm -hmm. wonderful song out of it. So it's an interesting thing that I look back and that taught me myself of uh, I was too anxious, I was too nervous, mm -hmm. I was too excited, I wasn't able to slow down very easily. Um, all these types of things that I needed to work through in my life that Bull taught me, mm -hmm. which is just a pretty cool thing. And I think that that's, that's something that people get so attracted to the Bulls with mm -hmm. because it's um, not only do they have a pleasing sound, but they also have a lesson to teach you as well, too. Well, I think what's interesting is with the bowls is the, the person playing the bowls, the practitioner, gets as much out of it as someone who is receiving. And that's uh, so it's a beautiful opportunity. Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great opportunity for people and I'm really excited because of how I started this with the business aspect of it all not thinking about money and not thinking about Ferraris but just thinking <laughs> about I wanted to I wanted to um, I, w I wanted to go my own way and mm -hmm. create create my own thing in my life and uh, so now to be able to have these classes with people and then bring that to other people and to see people starting businesses every week there's somebody right. starting a new right. business starting a new website um they have this new idea and uh that's so that's so rewarding to see but back a little bit about my past is uh one thing i was thinking about recently is i started doing online classes so i've been recording for the online classes mm -hmm. recently you know the world has changed so much and uh change is so hard for all of mm -hmm. us we, we get stuck in our ways however there's pathways for all of us to get out of wherever we are right now the problem is, is we didn't think about them in 2019 and we thought about them right. after, you know, after, after we were forced to do it. And I had, I had been thinking about online classes for uh, 10 years mm -hmm. and, and guess when I finally started to, do, to uh, record them. It was this year. Yeah. So it, you know, it kind of forced me to get into that. I have to, you know, I have to adapt right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, what was interesting also in my, in my youth, when I was eight years old, I went to a Catholic grade school and, uh, I had a music teacher there and I wasn't that interested in learning music, but I was very interested in listening to music. Hmm. But one thing that she would do once a week on a Tuesday morning is she would have all the students lie down and she would play chimes, bells, oh, drums, neat. soft yeah. instruments. And as I was, I was, uh, as I was recording the class, I was thinking about this moment and it was something I completely forgot about. Like my first sound bath or my first experience with mm -hmm. sound meditation it was such an awesome experience because I, it was very foreign, not something that would mm -hmm. have gone on in my household at all or something that I would be normally familiar with. And that's kind of how things started, I guess, even before I received that first bowl was that I had that sound meditation. And nobody ever told me that I could sit in some place, be quiet and clear my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think of something that you're meditating, just let it go. Mm -hmm. And then just focus on your intention, focus on your word, focus on the sound you're using. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of how I, I started with everything. That, that one bowl that I bought at that one shop led to a trip to Nepal. Mm. And on that trip to Nepal, I was, um, I was so amazed by the culture there. It, just, it was so different for me. I'd been to Jamaica before. It was about 
the extent of my foreign travel. And then all of a sudden I'm in Nepal and it's just a totally, totally different. Everything is yeah. so different. Yeah. And um, it was, it was such an amazing experience for me. And I, I went there and I was like, I'm going to get like 10 of these bowls. I really want to get a lot of them. <laughs> this is the point when I thought 10 was a lot. Right. <laughs> Versus 10,000, right? <laughs> When so, you were... uh, so somebody, somebody had, had told me, one of the one of the dealers there told me that, well, if I buy 10, I don't get much of a discount. Right. If I buy 50, I can get <laughs> And uh, a little bit more about myself is I live alone, but I have a Costco and a Sam's Club membership. Okay. So uh, I always am stocked up on things. You know, mm-hmm. if you come to my house, there's plenty of toilet paper, plenty of supplies. Even in, even when they were running out of toilet paper, I had right. plenty of right. So I, I, like to, I like to buy a bargain. Right. Or, or stock up on things. And that, that started my best addiction I had, which was to singing bowls, my right. <laughs> the most positive addiction. Now, so do... those, those 50 bowls turned into, uh, I, I, next I imported 100 and then mm-hmm. uh, went back there and, and selected 500 and 500 led to 5,000 and 5,000 led to 10,000. Wow. And now I've manufactured and distributed over 100,000 singing bowls worldwide. How so, did you make that transition, Jeff, to... Um, because now you make your own bowls, I take it, like you, you'll make your own bowls. So how was that transition to where you were importing bowls and bringing those in and then making that transition to, was there something about you manufacturing them yourself that um, would would eventually lead to maybe a different type of vibration, frequency, sound, something that you could... Um, put into the manufacturing it yourself that you weren't getting from the Nepal ball bowls or. Yeah. All of that. And then also um, intention as well into those. Mm. Uh, what, what's very interesting is the bowls themselves are often referred to as Tibetan singing bowls. Right. Uh, right. They haven't ever had a bowl in Tibet that wasn't imported from another place, mostly Nepal. Okay. And when you think about it logically about where Tibet is, it's in the mountains. There's not very many trees where it is. And we need fire to burn the metal or to melt the metal to make the bulls itself. So it's actually an impossible type thing to make in Tibet. You know, in Tibet, or if you think of China, in China, they use China, porcelain, different things like that as food or eating dishes. And um, so that's kind of an interesting story that some people don't realize. These Tibetan singing bulls, actually, they've never come from Tibet. Right. Now, today, they're, they're sold there, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, they're, they're brought in. So... Originally, the singing bowls were originally used as eating devices. So they mm. were used as cooking devices. Okay. Uh, the bronze worked very, very well as a cooking device. You could put, have your rice in one bowl. You could have your uh, vegetables in another bowl and so on and so forth and put those on the fire. And so that's how they originally started. So the antique singing bowls that you see today are actually coming from people's kitchens. Wow. So that was one thing that I had that I wanted to create my own bowls was a because the antique bowls themselves are running a short supply, mm-hmm. but also the bowls that are made today are just made. They're not made to be anything. Okay. If you, if you get a bowl that comes from India or Nepal, it's just it's just simply manufactured. There's no thought other than to have it have sound mm-hmm. and to give it a bowl shape. So the reason why I had developed my own bowls was because I developed the protocols for the Vibrational Sound Association. I couldn't find two antiques or even two modern bowls that would have uh, a similar frequency to them mm-hmm. because they were all so different. And uh, so that, that was the, the main reason why I started manufacturing my own, but also on a fair trade aspect. Mm. 
all is completely uh, backwards when we talk about, uh, compared to where we are today, when we talk about rules or regulations, or we think of things like OSHA. Um, the, your typical metal worker in Nepal is very comfortable to work shirtless mm -hmm. in shorts with no shoes, no gloves, no ear protection, no eye protection. I mean, that's just, that's the way they've been doing this for sure. hundreds of years. Yep. So originally, the actually that first trip to Nepal, I thought, wow, we got to change everything. I got to get people in full body suits. You know, we've got to have ear protection on everybody. We have to have gloves. And then all of a sudden, you know, you imagine like a the, the space suit or something. Right, this right. How we're, how we're changing this. But that was my that was my idea coming from a Western Western perspective. What I found out though, as I as I tried to implement something like that, not that extreme, was that I couldn't get any workers to work for me. It oh. wasn't it wasn't mm -hmm. comfortable mm -hmm. to them. So I took a different approach to that, an educational approach to it. So it's like, okay, so you're using a hammer every day and you're hammering these bulls. And so that's going to affect your hearing. So let's talk about your hearing and ways to protect your hearing, you know, with using earplugs or things like that. Then the same thing with using gloves and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, different uh, safety equipment and things like that. So, so that was, that was the two main reasons. A, I wanted to be able to create bulls that I could get within certain frequency ranges right. that were consistent. And then also I really wanted to change the manufacturing process as much as I could to help the people that are that are making these bulls. Because uh, the intention of that, you know, if the people are being taken care of and now we're using these bulls as a therapeutic or healing instrument mm -hmm. with our clients, then that intention just keeps sure. drifting out. Yeah. Can you talk about the the metals? the purity of your bowls compared to the the bowls that traditionally have the seven different metals and what makes your bowls um, therapeutic compared to the, the external sound as opposed to the internal? Because I know that your metals are pure and you use... Yeah, the, the seven different metals is uh, mostly a myth. Uh, most of the bulls that are sold today as seven metals, and in fact, if you go back and, and look at my website from uh, 10 years ago or so, I ended up changing a lot of the content on my website because a lot of those things were just myths that came through. Mm -hmm. so the seven metals is, um, it's only an accident if it were to happen for the most part. Right. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one is that originally these were used as eating instruments. So you don't want mercury and lead in an eating instrument right. whatsoever. You wouldn't want those in there. And those are two of the seven metals. Mm -hmm. We also couldn't have 1.3 billion people in India if they were ingesting a lot of mercury and lead every time they ate. Right. So, so that's something to think about too, is, is that uh, I, it's, it's hard sometimes when we've learned so much about these things and everybody talks about it, the, the seven metals and the, the first supplier I had, you know, he's like, oh, my bowls are seven metals. I have some that are 10 metals. And it's like, wow, as, a, as an American, <laughs> 10 seven, right? Right. <laughs> he, used to, he used to tell me that the truck from Tibet was going over the mountains to Nepal and we had to wait for the truck to come. Uh -huh. You know, and all these, so even the, the, the people over there would tell me stories that would, I would tell my customers this and I, I was really unaware. Um, there's no real... You can't really take a truck over Everest and right. <laughs> if you think of things like that logically, it's right. like, okay, that makes, that makes right. sense. So uh, the uh, therapeutic bulls themselves, and the reason why I designed those was for vibration. Right. They're a little bit different than normal bulls mm -hmm. as far as normal bulls are going to be a little bit louder. They're going to give more sound than vibration. 
the idea of vibrational sound therapy is to have uh, is, is more of the vibration. That's why I put vibrational before the sound, uh, because that's so important on a cellular level. Because mm-hmm. uh, we can relax our minds a lot with the sound. The sounds will help us relax our minds during a session. But as far as uh, our bodies need it too, and our bodies are in a state of vibration. We know this every every cell, every atom is in a is in a state of mm-hmm. vibration. But if your mind mentally kind of put your body into a state of stress, your body also needs that, that, you know, that sound or that vibration as well too. So I wanted to create something that was, that was more vibratory. So just spent a lot of time doing that, working with a factory specifically that, that would work with me on, on creating bowls that were within certain frequency ranges mm-hmm. and then also to be more vibratory on the body. The metals of the bowls that I have are bronze, which is copper and tin. Mm-hmm. And that's the metals of most uh, bronze musical instruments are copper and tin. Mm-hmm. So we can think about in China, they've been making gongs for thousands of years. Right. They use about the same metal mixture. Symbols mm-hmm. uh, on a guitar uh, or on a guitar, on a, uh, on a drum set, like your cymbals, those are made out of bronze. Mm-hmm. Usually about 80% copper and 20% tin is the, the makeup of those. Okay. So that's about what the pure bowls are made out of. Uh, we add a little bit of silver to them because it helps to work with the metal. Okay. And, uh, the silver is just a little softer metal as well, too. But that's another reason why you kind of don't want seven metals. A, you've got a couple <laughs> in there that are a little iffy. But then also you've got gold, which is soft. So if you had a bowl that was completely gold, it would make no sound. Okay. All, or silver as mm-hmm. well too. You know, we don't even have silver jewelry that we we have that's pure silver. Mm-hmm. Silver jewelry that's sold today is ninety two five. All right. What, what do they add? Does anybody know what what they add to that? I don't. Copper. So oh. copper is copper is what's make it what makes it stronger. Okay. And then that way your silver jewelry won't just easily fall off. Your right. Bracelet won't fall off very easily or be too soft. What led you into the vibrational therapy? What led you into um, understanding about vibration and how that's connected to human wellness? Um, and, and I guess explain a little bit about VSA, Vibrational Sound Association, what you promote, because I think it's fascinating um, the more we learn about vibration and frequency. Yeah, it wasn't something that I was specifically looking for until I found the bulls. So at first the bull, well, the first bull found me and then I, <laughs> right. found the yes, yes. Just join that bull. Right. And then I really wanted to start learning about this. And what's interesting is there's so much that's taught, taught in the West brings Eastern culture that some people, they don't know even exactly what the Eastern culture is. For example, Buddhism uh, there's a lot of people that will mix Buddhism with the, with the bulls and things like that, but it's actually very rare it's in the secular, East right. that Buddhism is mixed with the bulls. Right. And I've been on a hunt. I've been on a hunt. I go on a temple hunt everywhere I go because <laughs> I want to see where the where the bulls are. And they've they've changed where they they become a little bit more popular over time. Where you'll mm-hmm. see them in a temple, but actually traditionally in uh, Japan and China are the places that they normally would have bulls in a temple. And they ring the bowl, like uh, similar to Catholics with holy water before they enter a church, you know, to clear themselves and mm-hmm. to cleanse, cleanse themselves with sound before entering the temple. So, um, so that's what's kind of that's what's kind of interesting about that is learning about all of that that history about the bowls and how they're really not something that's brought into much Buddhist culture. Right. Uh, it is. It has been there. We don't know exactly how long, and what segments and and, and who's using it. But uh, it hasn't been very popular. In fact, it's been more popular now that it's brought 
from the West mm -hmm. now back to India. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Vibrational Sound Association, that started with me for just uh, everybody else that I talked to really wanted protocols. They wanted information of how to put things together. Mm -hmm. And I had worked with clients and had just great results with clients. And I wanted to figure out a way to put that into protocols that I could teach to people. About, uh, I guess it was about 12 years ago or so, I was at a show. It was a spa show in Florida. And it was very interesting. I learned a lot there. First of all, I, I get into my booth and I've got all the bowls around me. And then I see the people across from me set up and they have a, they have a spray tan booth. They have a girl in a bikini and a guy in, in a swim trunks, you know, and they're, they're all spray tanned up and everything else. And here I am with my, here I am with my bowls. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was in the right place. <laughs> But uh, it was interesting as I talked to people in the spa industry, because this was starting to become popular over a decade ago in the spa industry, oh. everybody wanted a protocol. They're like, well, I love the sound of these bowls, but we, we don't know, like, what do I do with it? And I was like, you need to be like the rest of my customers. Use your intention and just, you mm -hmm. know, just go with it. Uh, so, so that's what kind of started me into the education aspect was just thinking about how to create something that, that, uh, can be variable that people can take you don't have to do my exact protocols but if you follow the exact protocols you'll have generally really good success with mm -hmm. so that's really what brought me into the education was, was that so many people were just asking asking about it and asking for it well they are today, there's not a lot of information out there yeah can, yeah. You, can you explain how the bowls and brain entrainment how that that works how that helps to the the healing process yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, there's not exact scientific evidence of of that, but there's scientific evidence of things like binaural beats. Oh yeah. About oh yeah. And those have been studied since the 1800s for for quite a long time. And if anybody is not familiar with binaural beats, you can look up on YouTube and and get a bazillion examples of them. But uh, those binaural beats, basically, what it is is two different frequencies. You have one frequency going to one ear, another frequency going into another ear, and your brain does this magical math between the two frequencies and takes the difference mm -hmm. of the two and then can sync to those frequencies. But actually, a more simple way of thinking of brainwave entrainment is um, listening to music. You know, if you, if you see a teenager driving in a convertible, let's say it's a fast BMW or something like that, and they're blasting music and you're at a stoplight with them, how fast are they going to go when that light turns green? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got the yeah. car and a teenager, but also maybe they're listening to some loud music and mm -hmm. that music affects you as well too. Um, you know, if you go to the gym and you want to work out and you want to, uh, you want to really, really have a really, really good workout. You want to uh, gain a lot of muscle. You're pumping a lot of iron. You're not going to listen to Mozart. Mm -hmm. You want, to, you know, you want to use that sound to help to, pump right. yourself up you want right. to increase your cortisol levels you want to increase your stress in that moment so mm -hmm. that so that you can uh so you can have a good workout so i think that that it's it's more simply defined that way of how your brain will follow the sound what's so great about the bowls and like we were talking about binaural beats is you get multiple tones out of the handmade bowls hmm. so each one of these bowls doesn't have one pure sound like a you know, that would be more of one tone. Mm -hmm. They have multiple tones that are intermingling with each other. So I don't have exact science on this yet. We're still studying all of this, but I believe you get some effects with the binaural beats. You get some effects with brain entrainment just because we all get entrained to sound. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you've uh, met somebody that lives in a large city, right. they have a different vibration right. than the farmer that lives, right. you know, hours from the outside of town. I mean, you bring those two people together. It's a completely different vibration. You know, it's really interesting that you say that. Yesterday, actually, I went out to my cousin's place. Um, he has 50 acres uh, outside of the city. And we had that exact same conversation. And it was, in fact, when I pulled into his property, I just sat there for a minute. I shut off the car, put down the windows, and I just enjoyed that space. Because where I came from, the city, with all the traffic and the noise and all of that, really, you know, to your point about how it how it has that effect on the physical body, I mean, I really did experience that. And then I got out there, and I'm sitting out in his woods, and I'm spending some time talking to him, and it just really created a whole different experience for me. Um, so just that reminded me, as you talked about that, that it 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 really does – Sound impacts us far more than we probably really realize and impacts us far more not only on an emotional level but also a physical level. And if we're not fully aware of that, then it will be hard for us to mitigate sound in a way that can be more helpful to us and less damaging if we don't even know about it. And that's why I think the work that you're doing is so critically important and why I like by having you on the podcast and getting this information out there, because I think that people need to know more about sound and, and its effect on the body. A, a question that I'm thinking about is when you talk about the bowls, um, I have not had, I've had experience with the bowls through Deborah because she took your course and she got certified and she's now collecting her bowls and she's playing those bowls. And I, I've, been a recipient of uh, some of that the sound work that she's doing. It's been fantastic. Can does one bowl have one frequency, or can you adjust the frequencies within one bowl? You could adjust the frequencies within one bowl. And the great example that I gave you a moment ago was me just kind of clanging the bowls. I did what I what I did mm-hmm. at that moment was I just struck the bowl with the wood side, and it gave a little higher tone. To it now. If I strike the bowl with the suede side, oh, a lower tone, and then if I strike the bowl with a felt mallet, oh wow, yeah. So you can get all sorts of different different sounds out of the bowls. They're they're all like snowflakes. I mean, they have so much, <laughs> so many unique characters to them because of the way that they're hand hammered as well. So when you every single time they're hammering the bowl, all of those atoms are being uh, compressed in different ways in that specific area of the bowl. Excellent. Thank you. That's very, that's very helpful. But you know, the interesting thing that you were talking about sound as well, too, there's some great Ted talks and I wish I remember this guy's name, but I think if you just look up Ted uh, soundscapes, I think is, he's got uh-huh. a company called soundscapes and he's in the business of creating sound environments. Oh. So for example, you own a retail store and uh, whether it's a new age shop or a clothing store and you have a certain demographic you're trying to go through, you know, to, to promote your products to, mm-hmm. he will help to create a soundscape that will make that person feel comfortable in your environment. Wow. So it's, That's... it's definitely, it's definitely something that, that has been studied and it's being studied now more by businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting also that uh, commercials are doing this now also. Right. If anybody's ever heard of, Tingshas, I don't have any with me, but they're those little chimes that you you ring together and they okay. make a really high sound. Okay. 
that real high sound, it's like a clearing sound, but it also grabs your attention. So now if you just start kind of paying attention over the next week, if you watched anything online or you watched some TV or something and listened to some commercials, you'll notice that a lot of people are now using a sound in the beginning because it grabs your attention. Mm -hmm. Also, so you can use sound for all sorts of different things. This, this, uh, this TED talk that I watched was so interesting because he talked about office environments and people that work in cubicles. If you work in cubicles and don't have a private office, your productivity at work goes down by 70%. Oh. So you have all those other sounds around you. You're trying to get your work done or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But if you move that same employee to a private office, their, their productivity goes right back up 70% oh. to that. Yeah. I think a lot of people aren't aware of bowl therapy. Um, I was aware of the bowls and sound baths until I took the, the course and realized the therapy. And I benefited from it um, very much. But would you say that there are advantages to the sound bowl therapy over regular massage therapy, um, in your opinion? I mean, I know there's probably advantages and disadvantages to both, but in your opinion, what differentiates the two? Well, one thing is a, a no touching with the bulls, that you just right. let the bull do the touching. So if you're working with somebody that has a lot of trauma, PTSD, uh, different things like that, or they have a trauma from uh, just being touched, right. you know, which is a, there's a lot of people like that. Mm -hmm. I had a student in one of my classes. It was actually the first time he'd lied down on a table before because he didn't want to, he didn't want someone to touch him and things. And that was an interesting experience that we went through just with that. So you have that no touch aspect. And when I'm working with a client, I want them to feel like my presence is, is there, but I don't want them to feel like anything else about me is, right. is there. Right. Um, so I, I really like to let the bulls just kind of do everything. But the, the vibration reaches your muscles and muscle tension on a more cellular level deeper. So uh, you could test this very easy of, of how, how far vibration will go through an object. Hmm. So we're able to penetrate the body, the muscles, the tissues way more than even the deepest tissue, you know, getting in yeah. there type of a yeah. massage but also in a gentler way, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, we teach a lot of massage therapists and they love how gentle this is a, because they spend a lot of time. People say no harder, you know, Jack, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but also if you think about that, that also creates a little bit of trauma in the body as well too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the body's not meant to be right. <laughs> traumatized yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, I know that in your course, um, your, which I found obviously, absolutely amazing because um, I went on to get my license. But what I loved about it was the, the concrete ways you demonstrated or had the teachers demonstrate to us the effectiveness of vibration. We used the balloon with the water and played the bowl and were able to visually see the vibration and how much and to realize our bodies, and if I get this wrong, please correct me, 60% water. So... Yeah. There's no exact fact on this water yeah, thing. I'm not so sure it's like 60 either. to 85 yeah. percent. <laughs> I may be 90. Depends how much water you drank today. <laughs> right, right. That's right. And then we got into the the cymatic frequencies, which I found the. Now I have to ask this because I, I should know, but I don't. Um, when you play, for example, a C note, will the cymatic, which is the vibration pattern 
that is made in the water. Will it always be the same with each note, or are those like snowflakes? Are they different depending on how hard you hit them? or uh, How hard you, you struck the bulb would affect it as well, but if you were to strike it the same way each time and that bulb was the same frequency, you should generally get the same pattern. Out okay. Yes, and so that would that would that would virtually give the same you know it would it would give the same type of pattern. However, okay. it's hard to strike it as you know as a practitioner. <laughs> exactly, exactly the same. In fact, those snowflake bowls that are so unique—that's what's so you know—that's what's so unique about them. You're like I I struck it the exact same way, exactly. but I got a little bit of a different sound to it. But generally, if you had a perfect pitch bowl, like a crystal bowl, for example, that we could dial down to an exact frequency, one singular frequency, every time you played that bowl, you'd get the exact same pattern. Could you explain the difference? Because that was one of my questions is I'm fascinated with the crystal bowls compared to the metal bowls and also um, the, the, like the, what am I trying to think, precious stones, the, the bowls that are made with garnets and how are those different from the metal bowls? Well, the metal bowls, you have two different types of metal bowls. You have the hand-hammered metal bowls, which uh, have been the most popular in the past, but mm-hmm. now we have these uh, more or less expensive cast bowls also. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference in those. You have a difference in sound and also metal mixture. So the hand-hammered bowls are going to be bronze. Those are going to be your copper and tin, and those are going to have multiple harmonics and overtones as well. So when you listen to that bull, when I strike that bull, you're not hearing one sound. You're hearing a symphony of sounds mm-hmm. altogether. As we get into the metal cast bulls, those normally have one or sometimes they'll have one frequency, one overtone, but they normally just have one sound mm-hmm. and one tone, one frequency. And then the same with the crystal bulls. Those will have one tone or one sound or one frequency. So it's a pure tone. One thing I really like about the metal bulls, if you just have one bowl, as opposed to a crystal bowl, is that if you just play one crystal bowl, you just get one tone with it. And one tone can also be a little bit agitating if you listen to the same tone Mm -hmm. over and over again. And in fact, in nature, we never have a singular tone that comes out in nature. There's actually only one circumstance that uh, animals create a singular tone in nature. And that's when they're in fear and in stress. So, for example, the you know the lion is chasing you in the woods. Right. A loud, a loud shrill scream is right. Right. appropriate for the moment. Right. <laughs> so, so that's the only time we you know we hear one pure tone. So, like when I use the crystal bowls, I always like to mix them with two or three, so I can get some different sounds out of those as well too. So, Jeff, when when I'm if I was to come as a as a client. Um, and I wanted to get a session, say, and this might be helpful for our listeners that this is new for them. And so they're thinking about uh, and hearing this and, and they get excited about it and want a session. Um, and they go to that session. How so on, I'm not sure how to frame the question, although I'm thinking about the sounds and I'm thinking about the frequencies and I'm thinking about you as the practitioner, me as your client and I'm going to lay there, is there a certain process sequence that you're going to go through as a practitioner and that me as a client will just adjust to those tones or will my body, you know, know what to accept? And not, do you, I know I'm not making myself really clear here, but the idea is that sometimes, you know, our bodies have a certain intelligence to them. Our body knows what it needs 
And so if I'm going to go to a session and you're going to play frequencies, is is overall I'm just going to have one type of experience and that is just to relax? Or could I get more out of that session that I may not be expecting to get out of? Yeah, in I like to explain it specifically as a relaxation therapy and a relaxation okay. technique. Okay. And the reason why I do that is, is I don't want to give you any expectations right. uh, that you're going to have an experience that yes. you're not going to have. Okay. It's also, if you give that, what I notice is people that have given that to their clients, they give them, oh, you know, you could see colors and go through this experience <laughs> where you leave your body, uh, which happens. You know, right. people go through this meditative state where they, oh my gosh, I feel like I was floating and I saw these colors and everything else. And if you tell somebody that right. and they don't see colors yes. and they don't have that experience, yes. then they feel like they did something wrong. Okay. Uh, they feel like uh, they were gypped in the session. Mm-hmm. They feel like, I mean, all sorts of things. Right. So you create that, you know, they're creating that for themselves. Sure. Basically. So, so I try to say, uh, I want to explain as much to my clients of what's going to happen and what's going on and physically what will happen, where I'm placing the bowl so they don't get surprised by it. Right. But I like to leave everything kind of up to them mm-hmm. as much as possible and not put those things out there. And then in the beginning, I'll have an interview with them. And then at the end, I'll have also an exit interview and oh, just nice. talk about their experience. Nice. And uh, because sometimes people want to say, is this normal? Is it normal to see colors? Or I yeah. felt like I was floating or I mm-hmm. felt like I was four years old again. Or playing sound in the sandbox, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these different types of experiences. And I just listen and, and you know, mostly people ask me, is it normal? Right. Like, what is or what is normal? Today? Right. You know, I mean, your experience, the way you experience that is a perfectly normal. Yeah. It's your experience. Yeah. I like that. That, it, that that helps a lot. Thanks for clarifying that. It's going in with no expectations. You have the experience that you have. And, uh, and, and that's it. So that's, and if you, yeah, if you came back to me as a client the second time and you were like, you know, Jeff, the, I want to try this again. I've heard it was helpful. You know, uh, my friend John has tried this many times and it was helpful to them, but I couldn't, I couldn't get relaxed during mm-hmm. this or whatnot. Then I changed the way, right. you know, the right. session, I would change it. I would turn it into more of a meditation. Like we did in the beginning, you know, give them a focus mm-hmm. and whatnot and, uh, but but at first, I just let people experience it. Yeah, awesome. And that's what I love to do with my classes. Right. My classes, how am I going to feel? Right. I have no idea how you're going right. to feel. Yeah. I have, I have no clue. Cool. And you started to talk about animals. I'd love to segue into animals now. Oh, the I was thinking that as well. Yeah, the benefits with, that animals have. Yep. And also, we want to make sure that charities. we promote your um, sanctuary with the elephants so that we, with your approval, can um, put a link so that people know how to provide support. But could you share how you began with the sanctuary and how did you find out these elephants love the bowls? Yeah, that, yeah. So it started off, it didn't start off with me. It started off with a a client and a a good friend of mine, Linda Chambers, and she's from Bozeman, Montana. And I believe it was in 2006 or so. And she actually grew up in Singapore. And so she traveled a lot throughout Asia. And then she kind of started a little uh, a little shop in Bozeman and would sell things from Thailand and different places and kind of all over all over from Asia. So she, she would go to these elephant sanctuaries uh, just to go help out. You kind of go and they have programs, uh, elephant daycare. So you would go take care of an elephant <laughs> today. You would bathe them and feed them wow. and things like that. And then they would charge you to do all of that. And then that's what paid for uh, taking care of the elephants. So I believe she went to this sanctuary probably three or four times. Uh, and then the owner of the sanctuary was mentioning just like the different problems that he was dealing with 
mostly emotional, some physical problems mm -hmm. with the elephants. And what I mean by that is a lot of these elephants came from abused situations. Mm -hmm. In Thailand, up to 10 years ago, uh, elephants were used uh, in the, the logging industry. So yeah. for example, if you cut a tree at the top of the mountain, the elephant would drag that, that log down. Mm -hmm. um, They're also like farm animals or, or you know, part of a family as well too. But it turned for a while, for maybe 30 or 40 years or so, where they were used a lot in industry. So those, those animals were really mentally had issues and then physically had issues as well. Mm -hmm. So obviously if the, the log starts going faster than the elephant, they can get physically hurt. But after that, they're done working all day, they were kept in cages. And so they had no social interaction whatsoever. Right. So animals are or animals in general are social animals, but the elephants especially are very, very social. When a mother gets pregnant, she usually will find another mother within her herd. And then that mother that's already had, that mother would have already had a baby. And that mother guides her through the whole pregnancy. Wow. Fascinating. That and, is fascinating. and through the birth process as well. So if you're stuck in a cage your, your whole entire life and you're working um, and you don't get that social interaction with other elephants other than, than working and seeing them over in the next uh, cage, all that nature was kind of taken out of them. Mm -hmm. So that was an issue they were having at this uh, elephant sanctuary was just being able to get the elephants to kind of move on from their old life and get used to the new life and work through mostly emotional trauma, but a little bit of physical trauma as well too. So I'll give you the first case that they did. Uh, Linda had, had gone back to uh, Thailand and she brought her singing bowls and they were having an issue with one of the mothers where the mother was not feeding the baby for very long. And what's interesting about a female elephant is that their breasts are underneath their, their kind of front leg. Mm -hmm. So in order for them to oh. feed, they have to move their front leg out to expose the nipple for okay. the baby. Yep. And this is also a relaxed state. You know, by moving their leg out, they go into a relaxed state and then the baby can feed. Normally in nature, this is about 45 seconds, uh, the, each feeding, but of course that happens multiple times per day. Mm -hmm. And then they, they breastfeed for four years. So it's a very, wow. very long uh, process wow. too. What they were finding was these elephants that came from captivity, they were a kind of annoyed with their, their babies in general. Like they weren't, you know, they weren't used to growing up in that herd and family environment. So they, they didn't want to feed their babies and they were also a little stressed out. So what's interesting, we think of Thailand and Asia and, you know, they have all these magic uh, herbs and different cultures that they've been using for healing and things for years. But their, their solution to this was tranquilizers. So let's, oh. let's give the mother some tranquilizers, oh, get her Lord. relaxed. And then when she's relaxed, then, you know, she'll slowly release her, her, uh, her front foot and, and allow her baby to feed. And so they were able to, through tranquilizers, get the uh, get the mothers to accept the babies better and get the feedings to last longer like they would in nature. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we all know this, that if the mother gets a tranquilizer, that's going into the mother's body. Right. And of course, that's making it into the milk as well, too. And then the baby's getting some of that also. So now we have two drug addicts <laughs> right. that we've created with that. Right. And, you know, one thing, Western medicine is wonderful. You know, it does so many wonderful things for so many people. But one thing we know about drugs specifically, no matter what the drug is, the more we take it, the less it works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the more we take any sort of drug, our body will get used to it and we'll need to take more yeah. of it, whether we're talking about blood pressure medication or anything like that. 
So uh, that, that's kind of what happened with the tranquilizers. And so Linda was thinking, okay, we've got to try something different. Let's try using a singing bowl. And she just did this on a whim, you know, brought her bowl. And then uh, the baby was ready to feed and she played the bowl for the mother for 15, 20 minutes. And the mother got really, really relaxed and just fed the baby. Oh. And like immediately, oh, yeah. it, it happened. I have all sorts of interesting things that happen with human clients, but mm -hmm. with animals, they don't have all the baggage that we have. Mm -hmm. So they just shift so much easier out, mm -hmm. of that old, out of that old trauma. So just by playing the bowl for 15, 20 minutes, the mother got into a relaxed state and was able to feed the baby. And in that time, not only was she feeding for 45 seconds, but now up to a minute or up oh. to a minute and a half with mm -hmm. the singing bowls where the tranquilizers couldn't even do that mm -hmm. you know, to go that long to get her that relaxed because she was just kind of naturally relaxed. And uh, I know, Deb, you probably heard the, the term uh, sound stoned before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These, uh, these elephants, you could see it in their eyes. 15 minutes, their <laughs> eyes, like, they just start going out. And they're, awesome. you know, they're these huge 10,000-pound creatures. Yeah. I've been there. Small bowl, <laughs> yeah. And like, all of a sudden, they're like, they're looking at me like, what, what did you just do to me? Right. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. this instant hypnotic state of relaxation beautiful so, so that's how that that's how that all started and then uh i, I bring a, a group every year of people and we go to chiang mai and we work with the elephants and every year we had just have something that happens that's just miraculous really whether it's uh we had a, an elephant that had a foot infection and uh she had to have some medicine put on her foot in kind of a, a fluid bag so we had to put the fluid bag around mm -hmm. around her foot and had to get her to just this ten thousand pound animal to just stay there for 20 minutes while the medicine Mm -hmm. uh, penetrated and helped helped with the infection and we did that all with sound wow we had a rambunctious teenager mm -hmm. this guy would not he would he would move constantly would never stop and whatnot 15 20 minutes with the bulls in the afternoon when when elephants never lay down right. he started laying down i've got this picture and even this <laughs> you know it's, it's just beautiful. it's just amazing it's just amazing to see to see that but i also find it so unique with animals where they they're so they, they're so much more, I guess, in tune with nature and with sound itself. Yeah, yeah. That they shift so much quicker. Well, you have a beautiful dog, right? Yes. Yes, and I assume your dog loves the bulls. <laughs> he, well, he has to. <laughs> <laughs> no choice there. Yeah, <laughs> well, I know with the elephants, I hope you get to go next year. I hope that that it's the trip the trip is back on one of my instructors beth said that it was one of the best experiences of her life that when you began playing the bulls a baby elephant or baby elephants would run that they they know they love the sound and they know what it means it would, it would be it would draw them to the sound right yeah. right yeah. so i'm i'm hoping fingers crossed so the idea too when you think about the babies is is if we can get the babies that have mothers with trauma and get these babies because the babies can sense the mom's trauma from the past. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, we can, we can all sense that from each other right. even. And things. Sure. Um, so the babies are sensing mom's trauma. They don't know where it came from. They don't know, you know, how that happened. They just sense it. But now if we can bring those babies into a state of relaxation with mom using sound and they grow up that way, then they're going to be able to access that, any time in their life, mm -hmm. which is something that I really would like to do in the future with children, humans, because mm -hmm. we need that. Everybody's got, you know, everybody's, you know, you got, everybody's just 
running all over the place. We got to go take the kids here. We got to go to the grocery sure. store. We got to, everybody's got this laundry list that they've got to do every day. And people just don't take that two minutes, five minutes, yeah. 10 minutes, 30 minutes to just relax. I even think of the applications in schools, Jeff, you know, like even if you had, you know, beginning a classroom session with, with sound, maybe before an exam is where, you know, anxiety gets heightened and the instructor plays some sound, some bowls just before the exam. Uh, and even after, just before leaving the class, I think that would be really profound. That would be really cool, I think, to to have that. Um, and we've, we've been working with a few Montessori schools. Of course, that's where it would start. Right, and yeah. The Montessori schools have been buying bowls, and they've been using that. The, uh, we had one Montessori school 10 years ago that I sold a bowl to that they, they decided to put one in each classroom. Wow. And instead of having the bell that we hear in yes, school, right. yes. they would play the bowl. yes. And I didn't think much about it in the, at that time, but a few years later, I went and had lunch with my nephew at his school, and I heard that school bell, and it's a jarring experience. <laughs> right. you know, it's, yes. a very, it's, a, it's a high sound. It's meant to be loud, mm-hmm. and it's meant to get you to get up and you know, move to the classroom, yeah. period. But this is the sounds that we're training our kids with right. every single day yeah. are these sounds of... Oh, here's this alarm. It's an alarm every day between every class period. Hurry up and go to the next class period and you know, be ready. But of course, Montessori schools think a little bit different. So they're they're using the bowls between class periods, which yeah. I think is awesome. Well, I know we're running out of time. And if if you could give us the your website to put on um, as a link to this to our show, sure, and Maria will do that. And also with the elephants, the sanctuary, any information you'd like our listeners to know about, to learn about VSA, um, mm-hmm. vibrational sound therapy, and, and the elephant sanctuary. Yeah, we can post those all in the show notes. So for listening audience who's interested in diving deeper and wonderful. getting to know your work more and even uh, have an opportunity to take classes and things like that, we'll put all that information in the show notes um, for them yeah, as well. Yeah, so the uh, website is just vibrationalsound.com. Okay. Uh, so you can, you can go there and uh, learn more about the classes. But also, if you're not interested in the classes, no problem. There's also practitioners all over the country that are listed there. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in trying it, there's uh, most, more than likely one in your area. And uh, you can talk with a few different ones and see who would work best for you as far as uh, pers- your personality and who, who you want to work with. And as far as the elephant sanctuary is called Patara. That's P-A-T-A-R-A. It's Patara Elephant Farm. Okay. Their uh, donate button, I can uh, send you in an email after we get off the call. That'd be uh, great. They have a PayPal donate button. And uh, one of the biggest things right now is I know we're all hurting financially. And this is something that I think that we all kind of need to help each other through this through yep. this moment. But Thailand, since uh, March 1st, has not allowed one tourist to enter the country. And that's still as of today. I believe they still have that ban at least until August 1st. Mm-hmm. Such a large part of their economy is tourism. Right. Oh. So, uh, they've got, uh, I think, 68 elephants at the sanctuary that they've got to feed. And yeah. I don't know how many tons of food those things eat a day, but it's, it's a lot. Sure. So it's quite, a, it's quite expensive. So I've been trying to raise as much money as, as possible for them because uh, they have zero income coming in. In fact, when we left, March 8th was kind of the last group that they had. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I know it's been really, really difficult for them. And even if it's ten dollars, uh, sure. it, it really, really helps out. So I'll email you that link as well too, Thank that you. people can donate by uh, PayPal. Perfect. And that's a, it's a really, really good cause. Yeah. Well, well thank you for all your work. Yeah. And all that you've done. 
It's been wonderful, Jeff. Thank you. Really, really a pleasure meeting you. And uh, you would like to explore more of this in the future. We maybe get get another connection with you and uh, share share some more. So thank you so much. Um, Really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And have a great rest of your your week. And uh, we'll talk soon again, I'm sure. And I'll see you soon at at the retreat. I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> At least the virtual retreat. Virtually, yeah, the virtual retreat, right. Absolutely. Next, next year, I owe you something. A big hug. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.